Welcome to the Troy Chi Alpha Podcast, reconciling students to Christ, transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. In today's episode, you'll be listening to our sermon delivered at this week's Wednesday Night Worship. I know that the AV has already told you guys about the summit, and so um, you know, I'm not sure if she mentioned this part, uh, but, but one of the greatest things about the summit uh, is the cost. Um, it's only $15 for the entire weekend, and that includes all your food, uh, all of the fun uh, things we're going to do, um, like Nerf Wars and uh, other interesting things. Um, our, our speaker, uh, Mark, who's going to be coming sharing, he's uh, served uh, for the last 20 years as a missionary uh, in Jordan, um, and so he'll be coming and sharing uh, with us, and so I think you guys are going to enjoy him, and so make sure you register uh, for the summit. Hey, so um, I have a question. I'd like to start off with asking this question. Maybe you can think about this for a minute. What is the hardest thing that you've ever had to do? What is the hardest thing You've ever had to do. I'm sure all of us have found ourselves in this place where we go, wow, I really don't know if I can do this thing. I don't know if I can summon the strength. I don't know uh, if I can get through this. Uh, I want to start by telling you guys a story about what I think was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I was uh, a college student. I've been doing Chi Alpha for about a year, um, so I've been preaching a little bit. Um, wasn't very good at it, to be honest. Uh, I did not have the benefit of preaching lab uh, like our current interns uh, had, uh, and, but I, I, was, I was doing it. And um, So, uh, backstory: growing up, uh, both of my grandfathers actually lived at our home when they got to a point where they couldn't live on their own. Uh, both of them uh, lived in the house with, with us the entire time I was in high school. And um, I got a call the day after Christmas. My grandfather had fallen and hit his head and was in a coma. And uh, he did not come out of it. And so the day after Christmas, my grandfather passed away. It was very difficult. And um, man, I was not ready when my family said, hey, Justin, will you preach the funeral? And I had never preached the funeral in my life. Uh, I had only talked to college students about Jesus and uh, I was being asked, Justin, will you uh, preach your grandfather's funeral? Will you stand up in front of your family who's known you, who changed your diaper, and talk about the man that everyone loved? And I was like, God, I can't do this. Like, I, like, one, I don't know if I could keep my composure. Like, I was, I was hurting. I was, I, I was brokenhearted because I had just lost my grandfather. And also, I, like, I didn't think I was that good of a preacher, and I didn't want to screw up my grandfather's funeral. And I was like, I, I don't, God, I don't think I can do this. And so I prayed, God, is this, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Can I, can I really get through this? Like, I'm not that good of a preacher. I don't want to uh, do a disservice to my grandfather. And so I prayed about it. I you know, asked some people who were, who were pastors in my life. And I, I decided that, that I was going to do it. I was going to preach my grandfather's funeral. 
was very nervous. Oh, I was shaking so bad. I was so nervous, still upset about, you know, the unexpected loss of, of my grandfather. And in preparing, you know, I did what I needed to do. I said, okay, God, what, what am I supposed to say? What am I, like, how? God, I'm hurting. How can I give comfort to someone else? God, I, I, I don't know. Like, lots of people knew him better than me. Why? why I don't know. And I, as I was praying, there, there were two things that I, I felt the Lord said, Justin, you have, to, you have to say these things. And I was not real happy at the moment. I was like, God, I can't, I, it's bad enough. I'm preaching my grandfather's funeral. It's my first funeral I've ever preached. I'm hurting. You want me to stand in front of my family and say that? But the first thing that God really impressed on my heart was there were members of my family that did not have a relationship with Jesus. I feel like God said they, they need to know that if they don't make things right with Jesus, that there's no hope beyond the grave. That they'll never see this man again if they don't make their lives right with Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to witness to family members, but I, was, I did not like having to stand in front of my family and say, you need to repent and get your life right with Jesus because one day this will be you laying here that was, I was like, God, I can't say that. And the other thing, I had witnessed something, and I had never told my family that I, I saw this. There was an incident at a, a family Thanksgiving gathering. Um, my grandfather had hearing aids, and he would frequently turn them down when people annoyed him. Um, <laughs> but he was pretty slick because he could hear better than he thought, and he would secretly turn them up when you didn't know he was listening and so he would eavesdrop on your conversation sometimes, kind of funny. But this time, uh, I don't know what was happening. I had been outside, and I came in. I don't know if you've ever walked into an awkward conversation and regretted immediately walking into the room, but I walked in the room to hear uh, my mom and my aunts and my uncle arguing over my grandfather and my grandmother's affairs, and they were having to put my grandmother in a nursing home, and so, like, it's really complicated. I hope you never have to go through that. Uh, but it was really tearing our family apart. They really loved our grandparents, but they all had very different ideas of how to serve them best, and they were being really ugly towards one another, and it was, there was yelling and tears, and I just kind of put my head down and just kept walking through the room. That's what you do when you walk into an awkward conversation. And as I hurried through the room and I got into the next room, my grandfather was sitting there, and they thought his hearings were off, but they were on, and he was just bawling his eyes out listening to his kids fight over his money. And I feel like God's like, you, you got to tell the story. I was like, wow. Great, great. I'm going to call out the people in my family who aren't saved yet and tell them they need to get right with God. And then I'm going to call out my mom and my aunts and uncles and tell them the story. And I was like, Jesus, I can't, I can't do this. Like, this is too much. Uh, somehow, some way, the Lord helped me, and I stood up there, and I, I said what I needed to say, and I told the story, and I sobbed way worse than I am right now, and I, I, got, I got through it, and I stuttered, and part of me felt relieved that I had made it through it, but part of me was like, wow, I, I don't know if the rest of my family is going to want to talk to me after this. I don't know, and <clears throat> I was struggling, and I really kind of wanted some affirmation, like, okay, I didn't, like, really, really just screw up my grandfather's funeral. So I asked my pastor, how, how'd it go? 
And, um, you know, his response was not what I expected, but it's what I needed in the moment. He said, you told the truth, and what people do with it is up to them. You told the truth, and what people do with it is up to them. You know, I, I can't imagine, I can't remember a more difficult time. I've, I've preached to other grandparents' funerals since then, but that was the hardest. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I was so frightened and so afraid I wasn't going to make it through it, and I felt really so inadequate to do that. Like I wasn't prepared. I don't know. I'm assuming there have been things in your life that kind of got put in your lap, and you just thought, I, I'm not ready for this. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I don't know. Maybe it's something serious. Maybe it's something silly. Maybe you've like played rec league sports, and they're like, hey, listen, we don't have anybody to play first base. You're it today. Maybe it was something silly that someone just, hey, you have to do something without any preparation. But all of us have been someplace where we're just, we really weren't sure if we were going to be able to do the thing that we were being asked to do. And that's what I was feeling at that moment, was I really going to be able to do this thing? And since then, I've, I've spent time reflecting, like, like, how did that happen? Obviously, God's grace, God's grace got me through that, sure, but I, I really, I spent time reflecting on, you know, how in the world I was able to say those things. And I, I think one thing, the more I thought about, you know, what my pastor said to me, I thought about the hundreds of sermons I had heard him preach in my life. And, you know, my pastor, he's, he's a very um, stoic, very uh, clear, uh, direct person. And listen, and I think every sermon I ever heard him preach ended with one day you will meet Jesus you need to get right with Jesus I I probably heard him say that message a thousand times I'd heard him preach other funerals where he talked about our only hope beyond the grave is Jesus your only hope of seeing your loved ones again is found in Jesus and I had heard that so many times throughout my life that it had become part of me and I didn't even realize it. That it had been ingrained in me and impressed in my spirit in such a way that my heart was so full of that conviction that when I opened my mouth, it came out. I didn't even have to really think about it. It just was who I was. It wasn't, it wasn't just something my pastor had talked about. It wasn't uh, a doctrine that my church held. It wasn't someone else's opinion, but it had become part of me, and I believed it with all that I am. It was part of me. My heart was full of that conviction, so when I opened my mouth, it came out because someone I trusted had repeated that truth to me over and over and over again until it became part of me. I think that's a big part of why I was able to say those things to my family. The other thing, the the telling the story, that was the really hard part. I mean, who am I to correct my aunts and uncles and my mom? Who am I to, to drop this bomb to tell them the story? Because at that point, they, they didn't realize that he had overheard that conversation and that it had broken his heart. You know, I thought back, you know, a few months, maybe six months, a year before this, my church that I grew up in had, had experienced some turmoil, we'll put it that way. There was some division. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a, church setting where people yelled at each other and were angry and you know listen I think all of them just like 
my aunts and uncles, they really cared about the church, and they really loved Jesus, and they just had very, very different ideas on how to serve Jesus, and they were so opinionated about them that it led to people shouting and being angry and being bitter and the church being divided, and, and it really hurt me really badly. I, to see people, my pastor and other leaders in the church that I had trusted treating each other this way, I, it just rocked me, and I'd been struggling with this. And during that time, the story of the prodigal son was something that I'd been meditating on a lot. And those of you who don't know, there's the younger son, he ran away, and he came back, and the father celebrated him, and then there's this older son who's jealous and bitter and refuses to come into the party to celebrate the one that God had given grace to. And I just, that spirit of the older son, and I just, I just, I saw that in my church, and I've been reflecting on that, and really just asking Jesus to help me deal with the pain that I had felt because of the division and hurt in my church. And, and I'd been really processing a lot, and I had spent maybe even probably hours meditating on this parable and its meaning and just really reflecting from the perspective of the father what, what it must have been like for the father who is happy to see his younger son come home and then have to be faced with his older son being jealous. And I just just really, like, in my, in my meditation, I just kept thinking, man, I, I can't believe these kids are being so rude to their father and, and uncaring. And so I've been thinking about this, and, and you know, I think that it's, it's one of those things that I had spent so much time meditating on what God's word said about this that, listen, I, I know now, I wasn't a, a parent then, but listen, Nothing will break a father's heart like seeing their children be mean to one another. Nothing breaks the heart of our father in heaven like seeing his kids with good intentions tear one another down. And, and to be honest, I think God had been ministering and preparing my heart to a place where I had such a strong belief about how God viewed our interactions as our brothers and sisters in Christ that when I had to stand in front of my aunts and my uncles and my family and tell this story and say this truth, it's what was in my heart. My heart was full of conviction because I had meditated on that scripture till it had become part of me. It wasn't, it wasn't just something I was saying. It was something I really believed. I don't think there's any other way I could have said or done those things. I don't know um, what it is that has impressed upon you that deeply maybe maybe some of the things that have really affected you and impressed and shaped who you are maybe they're not good things maybe there are some things that have become part of you that they're not great but hopefully there are some things that you've heard repeated that you've meditated on scripture that God's maybe even brought you through some things and taught you some lessons that they're deep lessons they're not superficial things they're not just a doctrinal statement that the church you attend believes it's not just something that the preacher stands up and prays, but it's something that is in you. Something that's deep. There's a, a frequently quoted saying, uh, the author is, is usually ascribed as an unknown, um, but it goes something like this. Uh, Amateurs practice until they get it right. Winners practice until they can't get it wrong. And there's other variations. But the idea is this. When you're faced with a difficult situation, when your physical faculties are exhausted, when your emotions are exhausted, what has been pressed into you 
is what will come out. Those things that have formed you is what will come out in that moment. And to be honest, I think sometimes uh, we shy away from the depths of spiritual formation. That spiritual formation is something that we don't talk about a lot. The things that have made us who we are, the things uh, that shape our innermost thoughts, the things that we filter everything else through, those deep things that make up who we are. I'm sure uh, if, if any of you played sports, there were whatever sport, there was probably some exercise, some motion, some action that you repeated over and over again until you just didn't have to think about anymore. Like, I don't think Tom Brady thinks about pull my arm back, right? Arm goes forward, release. It's not a conscious thing. He's thrown so many passes that it's just second nature because he's trained himself to do it. And no matter how tired or whatever he is, the mechanics of his past are something that are just ingrained in him. What are the things that are ingrained in you? What are the things that have formed who you are, that have shaped who you are? The things that when you're angry are going to come out. Listen, if you really want to know how saved someone is, play church league softball. How will we react when we're pressed? That's what's really deep inside of us. And I think sometimes we want a quick fix. We want a fast solution. I guarantee you that Tom Brady did not show up to win his seventh Super Bowl without any preparation or practice. Maybe you don't like Tom Brady. You pick the athlete you, you want, whatever. But the reality is this, is that, that no one ever had good form. No one ever had good success without first being shaped and molded by the experiences that they had had. And we are all shaped and molded. Tonight, I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. A little bit of background before I read. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and if you were to look at, at the first part of 1 Timothy, you would see that one of the main issues that Paul is addressing uh, is the false doctrine and false teachings and division that's being caused in the church at Ephesus. And, and so Paul is uh, encouraging and admonishing Timothy of, of how to deal with this, and so that's kind of the, the backdrop of, of what's going on here. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says to young Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life that is to come. If throwing passes over and over, if learning mechanics of how to throw an accurate pass is beneficial, how much more is training in godliness? Paul's using an athletic uh, analogy here. Certainly he wasn't talking about football. He was most likely talking about things like running. Um, if you guys have ever run before, listen, runners don't just go out there and be like, all right, I'm going to start running. There is a, a form 
for how you align yourself in the starting blocks. There is a form for how you start a race. There is, there is form for how you stride, and how you practice is how you perform. And so Paul is saying this same principle that whatever forms the way you run a race or the way you do athletic things in the same way that we're formed and shaped and then we perform in that way, the way that we are formed in our hearts, the things we believe, the doctrines we believe, they form the way that we live so that we are training ourselves for godliness. Now, I... I struggle with this because, you know, I, I actually, I don't really know where you guys come from. I don't know what you believe or what you think. And, and sometimes I really want to talk about current events and I want to talk about political issues, but I'm like, ah, I need to be careful. And so I try to, try to walk the line. I'll say this. There are a lot of ideas and values and convictions of popular society that are not godly. And the reality is, those things are influencing us. They are forming us and shaping us, whether you like it or not. I, can I confess something to you guys? Listen, I, I, lo I love my parents. They're good people. Um, uh, but, you know, growing up, my, my favorite song was Dwight Yoakam's Honky Tonk Man. <sighs> I didn't understand why grandma got mad when I requested it uh, for my song at Sunday school. Um, because, listen, when I was six years old, I didn't really understand what the song was about. Listen, I, I have been formed by 80s country music. And to be honest, like, I, it's a miracle. I don't know. I, God just delivered and kind of run off my back. And, but, you know, sometimes we don't think about the way that things influence our formation and who we are, the things we hear repetitively. Yeah, I, I heard my pastor say over and over again that I needed to to make sure that I was right with Jesus, but I also heard a lot of other things that whether I realized it or not, they were forming me. The reality is we don't develop those habits by accident. Tom Brady did not become a good quarterback by accident. It wasn't like one day he was like, oh, I think I'll win a Super Bowl today. That's not, that's not how it happens. People don't just show up, hey, can I run in this track meet? Okay. Listen, I would die. I would pass out. Like, anyways, so, Justin, what is your point? Here's the point. Discipleship demands discipline. Discipleship demands discipline. Listen, there are a lot of things that, if we're going to be successful, we need to do that we don't necessarily like. I, I remember in high school, there was this thing that I didn't like. So I played football and I was a, a cornerback. That's the guy in the back, right? I was uh, probably about five foot six, all of 140 pounds, soaking wet. And I remember uh, my sophomore year was in tenth grade, and uh, it's my first time on the varsity football team. And we had this drill for cornerbacks where we had to put our heels on the goal line, and the running backs would line, line up five yards in front of us, and the coach would blow his whistle, and, and we would have to try to stop them from crossing the goal line. And they would have momentum. And they weighed, you know, 200, 250 pounds, and I'm 140 pounds soaking wet. And I was like, Jesus, don't let me die. And the coach was like, listen, in the game, you're going to have to make a goal line stand. So 
We have to practice it. And listen, it hurt. It was, listen, I, I was never, like, super afraid of contact, but, like, that just felt like punishment. And the coach said, listen, Justin, there's nothing you can do because he outweighs you by, like, 100 pounds. You just, you know, you got to hit the weight room, and that, that's all you can do. And anyways, uh, that, was a, that was a losing battle. But the reality is, is to get good at something, to really become strong at something, it requires discipline. It requires training ourselves. And I know that when we talk about our spiritual life, uh, oftentimes uh, we focus on the fact that, yes, we are saved by grace through faith. And, and I, I would argue that, that you are not saved by any works that you do, that, that you cannot earn God's favor. But the reality is this. There's a reason why Paul warns over and over and over and over again about false teachings and about ungodliness. If it wasn't important that we pay attention, Paul's letters wouldn't be full of almost the same warnings about false teaching and ungodliness. And unfortunately, I think so many of young Christians, they don't, we don't, you know, we don't like to talk about doctrine. We don't, uh, it's not a fun word. I don't want to argue people. Just let people have their opinions. It's, it's not. And so I think often on important issues, we just choose not to choose a side. We choose not to hold a conviction. Or maybe, yeah, I kind of believe that's probably what I'm supposed to think. But it's not something that's become part of us. It's not ingrained in who we are. And so unfortunately, if we haven't, prepared well, if we haven't trained well, when we're faced with a hard situation, what's in our heart comes out. I think that there are some things that that you face that I didn't face as a college student. There are some things that that you're going to have to address in the culture you live in that you're going to have to learn to not let, not allow it to affect you that maybe I didn't have to deal with. And so maybe in some way, oh, I don't understand. And, and you're right, I don't fully understand. But it doesn't excuse us from being fully trained in godliness, of being faithful to sound doctrine is what, what Paul says, good doctrine, being trained in the words of the faith. We could maybe... Compare this to a military analogy. If the people in this room were the ones prepared to do battle on behalf of the kingdom of God, has our training, has our understanding, has our skill in godliness prepared us to be a light in the darkness. Paul says, another place, if, if the godly are scarcely saved, what does that mean for the ungodly? Uh, Richard Foster, author of Celebration of Discipline, which uh, I brought a copy for you to look at, I strongly recommend uh, this, this book by Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. He quotes uh, Leo Toysto, Tolstoy, he says this, he says, Leo Tolstoy observed, everybody thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing himself. Let us be among those who believe that the inner transformation of our lives is a goal worthy of our best 
efforts. If we are to grow spiritually, if we are to strengthen our inward self in Christ, if we are to be firm in our faith in what we believe, we must discipline ourselves and be trained in godliness. Just like a runner has to be trained, just like any other athlete has to be trained if they're going to be effective, we must be trained in how to live a godly life and how to resist temptation, and how to share the gospel, and how to speak truth. When you're standing before your family at your grandfather's funeral, and God says, I need you to say these really hard words. I want to put this list of disciplines up here. Um, now, this is, I'm not going to go through and, and, and maybe describe or define but this is from Foster Celebration of Discipline. Uh, he lists inward, outward, and uh, corporate disciplines. Uh, most of these are, are fairly self-explanatory, and uh, your small group leader can maybe explain them to you if you have questions. But I'm going to put these up here, and, and we'll, we'll leave those up, um, and we'll do something with those here in a minute. When we choose to do things that maybe aren't easy, Sometimes we might say, well, it just feels forced. It's not authentic. It's not real. I just, I want to feel like it's real. And I, I'm all with you. Like, I, I really hate a stale, quiet time and prayer time. I, I do want it to feel meaningful. But the reality is this, that in training ourselves and forming ourselves and allowing Jesus to form us and transform us, it means sometimes studying Scripture when I don't feel like studying Scripture. It means Spending time meditating on God's word and letting it transform me because there's so much stuff that's like heavy on me from my day, so many negative things that other people have said, so much frustration that I really need to be washed off by the word of God and I need to make it a discipline to do that whether I really feel like it or tired or not. These disciplines are not things that we do just because they make us more godly. They're not things we do to earn our salvation or earn our relationship with Jesus we do them because they're things that the Scripture teaches us to do because we want to be built up. Because one day, you may face what is your most difficult moment. And Jesus may ask you to do something that you don't feel like you're prepared or qualified to do. And will you have been trained? Will you have understanding of God's Word? Can you rightly explain from the Scripture the answer to someone's question when it matters. Can you give someone hope who has no hope and be the body of Christ when someone needs it most? I'd like to maybe to ask you to consider a hypothetical scenario, and we're going to close with this thought. Uh, Brett, if you'll come back up. So imagine with me, if you will, One of your acquaintances, one of your friends, maybe a coworker, classmate, someone that you know, has come to you. And you're having a conversation, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with this person. Now, I could I could pick any sin issue, but but I think because it helps illustrate the point, let's just say that this acquaintance, this friend is living a homosexual lifestyle 
and you're having a conversation with them about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Is it in you? Is it in your heart at a conviction level that you could speak full of love and full of conviction and say, Jesus loves you. He's calling you to repent of your sins and turn and follow him. Could you say hard truths in love because it is who you are, because it's permeated every part of your being, because God's word has saturated you and filled your heart in such a way that you're so connected to Jesus and so full of his spirit that no matter how afraid you might be to call your friend to repentance, that it wouldn't be a matter of could you do it, but it was so deeply ingrained that there was no way that you could fail to say the right words. That when you open your mouth, God's word would come out. We live in a world of people who are far from Jesus. That godliness, righteousness, and morality are alien in the world that we live in. Billions, over three billion people have no access to the gospel at all. Can we be content with a shallow, undisciplined faith that leaves us unprepared when God presents an opportunity for us to change the world? Listen, I know there are things that you hate about this world. I know there are things about politics that make you angry. I know there are things about society that frustrate you, injustice and crime and you name it. And rightly so, you ought to be upset. But we have no right to be upset about the world if we first won't let Jesus transform our inner parts and make us ready to be his hands and feet. If we are to change the world, it has to start here. It has to be formed in us. Our, our heart has to be so full of God's word and God's spirit that when we open our mouth, nothing else can come out. How do we get there? We get there by practicing these disciplines that the scripture teaches us to, by devoting ourselves to doing whatever we can to grow closer to Jesus, to make his values our values, to make his ideas our ideas. Now, listen, maybe you saw this list and you heard me talking and maybe already like something just popped in your mind, like an area that you need to grow in. Maybe some of you are like, man, man, I know the scripture. I can quote the scripture. I memorized Bible verses as a kid. Like I know what the Bible says. I just, I just don't know if I can do anything with it. Listen, our, our strengths, they're not monolithic. Like nobody who does anything does everything perfect. Like everybody who's a great fielder in baseball isn't always a great batter. Like everybody isn't equally strong or equally weak in every area. There are some areas that we're really strong and some areas we're really weak. And what I want to ask you tonight is what are the areas in your life, in your spiritual walk that are undisciplined? Listen, maybe... Maybe you really love Jesus and you really love serving people and you want to do a lot of good, but you just, you don't really know the truths of the Christian faith. You couldn't rightly articulate 
the teachings of the church, the doctrines of the Bible. Maybe you've never even read the New Testament. We, we can't be just people who are good at one thing, that, that God is calling us to be well-rounded in our training. And so tonight, um, Brett's gonna play and sing for us. We're gonna leave this list on the screen. This is what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you to stand. Can you guys stand with me? That's what I ask you to do. I'd ask you to just be honest with yourself and honest with Jesus and say, Jesus, where's my weak point? Where's the place that I'm the least disciplined that you want to grow me in so that I can do your will? It's really simple. That's all I want you to do. I'm gonna pray over us and then we're gonna just reflect silently while, while Brett sings. Lord Jesus, we want to be people formed in your image. We want to be people full of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to have deep convictions from your word. And Lord, we want to speak life into the world around us. And so Lord, we open ourselves up. We say, Lord, shape us. Show us where you want us to be strengthened. Show us how to discipline ourselves so that we can be trained in godliness. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.